ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 24 of the Messy Truths podcast. This is Mar coming to you direct from Montreal. Uh, oh, am I in the middle this Middle year? child. Uh, middle so first child. of all, fun fact, I am not the middle child in my family. I am the eldest. But in this show, I am the middle child. So it's Nisha, Halen from Kanakahage. And I'm excited today. Going on to you, Oz. And you know what? Interestingly enough, you're not even the middle child in this show. Even though you end up being the middle child, you're, I think you're the youngest amongst Ooh, us. You are. So just, a, just an additional fun fact for you guys. And this is Azar, and I am recording live from New York City. And Anisha's very excited because we do have a special Ooh, guest. <laughs> we do indeed. We want to welcome uh, to the Messy Truths podcast, uh, Charlene Douglas. So anyone who's a true fan... Of reality TV, they'll know um, the show Married at First Sight. Yes. There is a UK version, and there's also yeah. a TV show called The Sex Clinic that aired in the UK. And if you watch those shows, you'll know that there is a resident sex and intimacy and relationship therapist on the show by the name of Charlene Douglas, who happens to be the one joining us today. Woo. So, Charlene, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so 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 excited. We're I'm excited, excited too. We are honored to have you. Absolutely. Thank you guys. So Charlene, obviously you've had a bit of a run now with the, the last season of uh, Married at First Sight. Um, but can you, maybe we can start things off by you giving us a bit of background about yourself, your practice, your therapy practice and so forth. Who is Charlene Douglas? <laughs> Good question. Okay, so uh, so I suppose the official title is a psychosexual therapist. Um, and, you know, you add in the mix relationship therapist, you add in the mix intimacy coach, but all pretty much the same thing. Um, so I work with uh, clients. I've got a private practice. Uh, so I work with individuals and couples online. Um, and we talk about every and any sexual issue going um yeah look real fun job um i've been doing um i've, I've had the practice about four or five years now um but i've been working with i started working with young people years ago around sexual health issues and then moved on to adults uh, a little bit after that so very exciting work i can imagine so <laughs> So you wrote... We know Nisha's excited. She's very excited. So <laughs> you wrote an article titled Working as a Sex and Relationship Therapist, which I read. I, I read that and I was like, okay, this definitely speaks to me because there was uh, a part of the article where you're talking about the disparity in communication among, um, in many cases, a lot of uh, members of the Black community who don't get the sex talk when they're young. Um, and it... it is not necessarily relegated to the black community, but it is a common thing that happens among us where uh, the parents don't talk to you, they are silent, and the moment you get your period, if you're a girl, uh, you get the silent treatment or you're being warned not to talk to boys or you can't go do any more extracurricular activities at school. And maybe if you're a boy, you just don't get any sort of warning whatsoever. So can you speak to a little bit about that, um, diving into sex education and how we've probably all been wronged as children? <laughs> we haven't gotten proper sex education? Absolutely. I mean, you know, in the UK in particular, sex education has got better. But in my time, it was like the boys would go in one room, the girls would go in another room. We would find out about periods and the reproductive system. And then after it, after that, we'd all be giggling and trying to find out from the boys, like, what do they do? What do they say in your <laughs> sessions? And um, I don't even remember what the boys said. So I just think the very, the very fact that it doesn't, it didn't even stay in my mind would suggest that I don't think they even really knew what they were being taught. Um, but now sex education is much better in the UK, I have to say. Um, not quite where it needs to be. But um, we know that within definitely the black community, I would say that it's just not spoken about, spoken about, you know. So, you know, when you start your period, as you as you allude to there, you know, oftentimes your parents, they'll give you the silent treatment, like like you said. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes they'll say things like, now stay away from boys, or, you know, if you get pregnant, you'll see, you know, and it's like, <laughs> you've got, like, 
<laughs> you go, you, you laugh, but this was me. This is my experience. <laughs> you know, in terms of you have what like, your period started, and that's traumatic in itself because you're bleeding, and up until that point, bleeding represented something bad or something that was it represented pain. So you've got that happening. You've got maybe stomach cramps, and if you haven't been told about periods, you don't really know what you're doing. And then maybe your parents don't talk to you about it either. So it's just this big secret that girls yeah. talk about amongst each other. It's, yeah, mm. it's, it's been a really a difficult time, I think, for a lot of girls. And boys just just as bad, you know, in that, you know, unless you've got maybe your dad that's going to speak to you um, about, you know, your penis and about wet dreams and all that kind of stuff, you really are just trying to work it out as you go along. And it could be a really traumatic time for, for kids. And passing down that sex it, it trauma, right? So full dis, dis, I don't know, full disclosure. Full disclosure. My mom wasn't <laughs> and that black woman, Charlene. So on the show, we've talked about it. My mom was the one who took us to the store, showed my brother condoms, explained things to me and my sister and my brothers. Fully open sex. I mean, she is the warden. That's what we affectionately call her on the show. But she was all about not being a grandmother young. So she went out of her way to systematically educate all of us about it. And it's funny because that's what I teach. I taught PC, uh, PSHE in England and I teach, you know, sex ed here and I'm super open. And a lot of that has to do with my mom, right? My mom was the person who would walk around naked and be like, oh, what are you looking at my body for? Like you didn't come out of it. Like that was my mom <laughs> to my brothers, right? Okay. So, so my mom yeah. was the one who had conversations with us about it oh, all the sick. time. Yeah. And interestingly enough, and I am obviously not black, but I come from an Iranian background. And the way I found out about sex was my cousin telling me, and I didn't even remember until just now, that, you know, boys put their penises inside of girls and they pee in them. So this was my idea of how babies are created and formed. And yeah, like today, my child, my daughter goes to a New York City public school. And I recently received a form authorizing them being given a seminar about sexual harassment um, and sex education. But what I liked about it is that they are going across just heterosexual sex now, right? They're talking about, and I think this is just in light of the fact that she's in a progressive school, but they're talking about sex amongst the whole spectrum, yeah. right, of sexual identities. And I think that that's also a big shift and change that we need to see in sex education. It's so, it's so important. And as you just said that, I was reminded when I was um, when I was younger, I remember there was a, a young girl in my class and she gave me a kiss on the cheek um, because I'd just done something really nice for her. And I went home and I was just like, am I lesbian? Like, because I really enjoyed the like I enjoyed her kissing my cheek and it really like stayed with me for a long time. And I think, you know, when you haven't had any kind of education around sexuality, you know, it's not normalized, you're just left as a child to you're just left in distress sometimes because you're you're just trying to work things out. You're not sure what's right, what's not right. And it could be a really confusing space. And I think I'm so glad that I have to say, particularly, particularly in the UK, they do have better sex education and they are talking about different sexualities so there is that space where children can talk about what's going on for them um, and we know also as well there are online sites and online forums as well so you've got that interaction but in my day we didn't have that <laughs> <laughs> I remember once in class we had a uh, it was actually my gym teacher that taught sex ed and he did the banana with the condom uh, move <laughs> as well wow so. Yeah. Well, if you come to yeah. my class, we condom race. So I'm all about it. I had the woodshop <laughs> teacher make wooden penises and we learned to put them on properly. It's a whole phenomenon at our school. They're like, Miss, are we going to condom race? I was like, no, no, no. We got COVID this year. Condom <laughs> race. So you're literally having the yeah. kids compete. As and it's all about who can effectively put it on, not the fastest, who can effectively put it on, okay. who can put it back in its package. Because, you know, you don't just flush condoms down the toilet. That that That's not good for your plumbing bill. And so we, we worked through that, how to make a dental dam, because these are things my mom taught me, right? How to make a dental dam. Don't be using saran wrap. Like my mom was about not being a grandma. That, I think that was her, like her motivation. motivation. Like y'all yeah. cannot be bringing home no babies to me. 
because I'm not interested in taking care of your kids. So yeah. it sounded like your mum also kind of create like a sense of normality around sex. Oh yeah. So there maybe wasn't that shame and that kind of let me hide this, you know. And I think that's 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 what a lot of people are experiencing, isn't it? Where everything is really shameful for them. They're shameful. They're, they're ashamed of their bodies. They're ashamed of masturbation. They're ashamed of what watching porn and being turned on by it. Everyone, there's just so much shame around sex, and to some extent, that's what keeps me in. In, in work and you know yeah. why so many people come to see me you know yeah. because you know it's it's really weird how you can create a story about something that you're doing and tell yourself that it's really bad it's really terrible no one else is doing this and I must be so bad and then they come to see me and I'm like oh no it's normal it's fine you know enjoy it you know it's pleasure and they're like wow okay and then that shame is just lifted from them yeah, you know, so it's, yeah. It's, it's about having those open conversations, and it, it doesn't help with the religious layer to it, right? Like how people, and let's be very clear, because people know I'm religious. The religious interpretation of what you think your deity is saying, right? Not mm -hmm. that God is like strike on you, boom, you had no, no, no. It's about your interpretation of what you think it should be, and that also that heteropatriarchy like binary of what sex should be and what it should look like. And then, you know, you go to Japan and people be freak wilding out. They're wilding out because we have these suppressed sexual desires, but we have these binary categories, black and white around us that aren't allowing us, you know, to talk about it because we had, um, we had a guest on and I, the guest blew my mind, Charlene. I loved him. I loved him. Charlene, so we had a guest a, a few weeks ago um, because we're in our love month, right? I think I explained that to to yourself yeah. uh, already. Um, we're in our love month. And, and our episode a, a few weeks back included um, a talk with King Noir, who is a master fetish trainer, uh, adult actor, and so forth. But the key point of the show was about polyamory, and he was explaining to us about um, polyamorous relationships that he's, that um, well, the one that he was in, um, and so forth. So I think those are some of the boundaries that Nisha was um, and I loved you know, it. referring to. Not yeah. that I'm a polyamorous well, lover. I'm a polyamorous friend, and I loved it. I loved it because... <laughs> I, th I do think we live in these very binary societal terms that you should be this or that. And, you know, yeah. the, the truth is we're all a little bit neurodivergent. We're all a little bit on the spectrum. And I think we all have a little bit of sexual fluidity in us. And yet it's just now we're beginning to recognize that and so forth. But I got to ask, I'm a massive fan of Married at First Sight. That's my <laughs> shit. I love the UK version, the, the American version. They're wild. Um, the Canadian, there is no Canadian version. And I love Love is Blind. And I watch um, all of them. So Love and I actually am currently watching Love is Blind Japan because I have to brush up on my Japanese. But do you think people can be legitimately like matched and it can work out yeah definitely absolutely i mean the thing is is this you know when we match the couples ultimately they then have to do the work right and i think so with the uk version there was one couple um adam and taya as soon as they saw each other there was it was it was like a movie they were staring at each other you could just feel the energy they didn't really have many problems throughout the process. They were just in love from day dot. Now, it doesn't always work like that. But ultimately, I think that if you're willing to work on something and the spark is, is there, then, mm. yeah, I think I think you're good to go from there. I mean, it's funny because so Paul Brunson, my, my co-host, he, I think, is of a different opinion in terms of the spark. I think for him, he feels that the spark can come later on down the line. I'm a bit of an old romantic, so I'm like, nah, the spark kind of needs to be there at the beginning. It needs to be something that just kind of gets you going a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, and then <laughs> and then you build on that. But, um, you know, there's different, I suppose what that then would suggest is that there are different ways of, of this happening. Um, so, of yeah, falling in love. Of course. Of falling absolutely. in love. And I, I yeah. think that's important. Uh, so there's a current couple on Married at First Sight. So for those of you who don't know Married at First Sight, let me give you a little synopsis of this 
mind numbing show that I watch. And I say mind numbing because I do a lot of work. I work a lot and I need this show that takes the pressure off. So Married at First Sight is about these experts, one that we have one with us today, and they go through the charts, they look at the compatibility, they interview the candidates, and they all come looking for a mate. And the presumption is they've done some sort of work on themselves because some of the couples, y'all need therapy straight up. You need therapy, that's the end of it, don't come back on the show. But the point <laughs> is they get matched, they don't know what the person looks like, uh, all they know is that the experts, they've put their hands into some, they put their fate in someone else's hands and they've matched them and they find these match. And the first time they see them is at the altar and you have to make a decision to enter a legal binding wedding, right? And I've, I've been a fan from the jump. Because I think it's, I think I mentioned it last time, I think it's a modern version of arranged marriages. And I think there's something to say about how we've taken the science of arranged marriages and turned it into reality TV. So it's like watching my aunties on TV, my brown aunties running around, matching you up. And this is what we used to do, like my families, for those of you in the UK, my family's half Asian, for those of you in North America, half Indian. So. I've watched my aunties do this kind of matching and start their charts and look at all of this and put them together. And then you see them when you lift the veil. So some of the outcomes on the show have been interesting. <laughs> Let's just leave. So the current American version has this couple where the moment the girl saw him, she was out. She married him, but she was out. She had no intention of going through with it. And she said, I hate him. We're just incompatible. She never gave him any chance. And the experts were quite perplexed because on paper they should have worked. But I think that's what you're saying, Charlene, right? Like it's not just on yeah. paper. You got to put your foot in it, right? You got to do you something. You really have to put the working. And I think that the thing is as well, is that so many of us are really attached to our old type, you know? So sometimes that type, hasn't worked, that type has caused us a lot of grief and pain, but we're still holding on to that beefy six foot four guy with the big muscles and the you know, <laughs> big eyes, right? Now, that's not to say that someone that looks- Triggered. <laughs> that's not to say it's someone that looks like that, that it can't work, I'm not saying that. But if that's what you've always gone for, there is something about, okay, could you maybe try a different type? And we had similar situations in the UK where there was one particular beautiful lady and just as soon as she saw her husband, um, the classic line was, uh, he's not exactly what I ordered. And that kind of went viral, I think, because that was, yeah, that was the line. He wasn't exactly what I ordered. And um, to be fair to her, she did stick through the process and she did try. But I think it was difficult for her to, to sort of be open to a different person because she just had, had an ideal in her mind. So... Um, and I have to say, probably women are probably worse at this than men. That's probably my personal opinion rather than a professional <laughs> opinion. <laughs> I think we can use it fussy. One, one question I have for you is, um, you know, we're just talking about, you know, when something doesn't click for you initially, but what happens if things do click and you get into a long-term relationship with someone, things are going well, but then something breaks down. Let's say it's particularly in the bedroom. You know, I've heard I've heard a, a, a pastor once say in, in a sermon, the first thing to go is always sex. And it's I feel like that's totally true, that it is like the first thing that ends up being broken down in the relationship when it is kind of like a symptom of everything else, the communication, the whatever resentment you have with one another. Um, would you say that that's something you found in your practice? Yeah, definitely. I think what often happens is that when we first meet somebody, usually the spark, the spark is usually there, the connection, the energy, it's very natural. You don't have to put much work in, work into it because it's just exciting. But what we don't remember is that it's also quite mysterious and you're not living together. So none of those unsexy things are happening, like, you know, the laundry being left in the corner of the room or, you know, your partner hasn't picked up the children. So none of that is happening at the very beginning. Oftentimes you live in separate houses, you know, so the excitement is like every weekend you're going to spend time together. 
So of course you build up that sexual energy, that sexual excitement, and then oftentimes the sex is is banging. It's you know it's it's amazing, <laughs> right? But then what happens is then you live together, and all the, like I said, all the unsexy stuff come in. But people expect the same level of connection to just happen naturally for years and years mm. on end. And so when couples five years down the line come to see me, they're a little bit shocked when I say, hmm, instead of looking at how you get your relationship back to the way it was when you first met, how about seeing it as a brand new relationship? Let's look at what's out there sexually. Let's look at how how our needs have changed. So many people, for example, are not aware that there are things like audio erotica, or there is like mainstream porn, but there's also like ethical porn as well. You know, there's erotic literature, ethical porn. Yeah. So, you know, ethical porn, you know, where you've got those, you know, the the workers that they're paid properly, you're not, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? But and it could be just as sexy. There's erotic literature as well. You can you can send saucy, sexy text messages to each other, and it could be a super turn on. Particularly if you send it to your partner when they're at work, for example. I mean, there's a whole <laughs> host of things that you can do to keep sex alive. But you sometimes you have to be a bit more creative. It might be choosing a different location. You know, if you're having sex in the bedroom that you sleep in, that you have conversations about the kids in, if the kids are barging in and they're crawling all over your bed, you know, maybe you won't feel the most sexy. So it's just recognising all those other factors that contribute to that lack of sexual connection. And also, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, I feel like women are the more likely to reach out for help as opposed to men. Because I feel like men, with what men tend to typically do is they wait until there's a crisis when something bad's about to happen, like, shoot, she's about to leave me or uh, she's moving out or, you know, something like that happens. And then that's when they decide, okay, I think I need to do something about yeah. this. Like, why do they not do anything before? You I know? agree. Yeah, I think oftentimes, <clears throat> oftentimes when men contact me, it's normally like it's a final stage, and the woman's been saying this for many years, mm. and they're they're panicking, and they're like, "We need help. We really need help now." Um, women do contact me. I think they also wait until the very last minute as well, where it's like, "I've just had enough of him now. The sight of him just makes me my skin crawl," and then it's like, "Look, let's just try and." have a bit of sex therapy here and see how it goes so uh, it's a shame really because I feel like and I, I think it might be a bit different in America and Canada but in the UK I think therapy it's still, it's still quite a taboo thing like to have a therapist um but I think that you know really as soon as, as soon as you get married you know get yourself a relationship therapist I think that's the key for I got I'm with it yeah. I'm with yeah. it. I'm with yeah, it because. I agree. Uh, but yeah, I was just sending some love texts to my husband who's in. <laughs> no, seriously, he's in flight. Gorgeous. He has yeah. um, airplane Wi Fi and nice. he's just checking in. He's like, I miss you. Just sending kisses. I love that. That I'm like, I'm with it. I'm with mm. it. But I think also scientifically, when people first get together, right, the endorphins take over, and what they don't realize is that you need the serotonin to take it to take to take it further. And let me explain. So endorphins is like when I see Mar and Oz every week, I get excited. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna see them. So you get the feels. Get the feels. <laughs> but if you want that to continue, you gotta hug and touch. It it activates serotonin. That's how people stay together. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's just the scientific part of your brain. That's why COVID has been so hard for some folks because you can't hug and touch other people besides. And if you're alone and you got no one to hug and touch, well, I suppose you could order one of those dolls or whatever, but you need, <laughs> you need the love, right? And I remember, so Charlene, my husband is not the kissy kissing. That's me. I'm the one who snuggles and comes up. Yeah. Um, but I told him the article, I showed him the article for National Geographic. And he was like, oh, so you need this. And I said, yes. He's like, okay, he'll do it now. But he gives me a limit of how many times I can kiss him, how many times I can do this. <laughs> but you know what? Boundaries, No, I but uh, seriously, before I got married, I was the cold one in the relationship. I was the one who wanted to sleep on my side of bed. Please don't come on my side. You're too hot. You're bothering me. <laughs> But with him, it's just a whole different scientific love connection. 
And so I'm like, the other day he said, do you want me to cut open my skin so you could climb in it? I was like, well, perhaps. (laughs) But it's not a bad idea. I know, but it's also about the science and it's about what you do and what you say and how you're going to do it, right? So Charlene, I have a question for you. I'm wondering how many times or how often do you deal with people who have had infidelity in their relationships and how often do you feel like that could have been prevented? Mm. Yeah, I'd probably have to say that at least half of the half of my clientele come to me because there's been some sort of issue with cheating. Um, I think I think oftentimes what happens is that when there's when there's been a breakdown in communication, instead of talking about what the issues are, instead of, instead of being able to articulate what 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 you need oftentimes people will maybe like go outside of the relationship. So they will get caught up with someone at work or, or online, you know, online's a quite an easy place, unfortunately, to kind of engage with someone else instead of working with what you've got and trying to talk it through. I think sometimes some of the guys that I, I work with have said that their sexual needs weren't being met by their partner, but maybe their partner just had a baby or their partner had never been really sexual Um, or they didn't want their partner to feel like they were like, um, yeah, I don't know, like the only word that comes to my mind is a perv, but I don't know if that's even an American expression. I'm always very conscious of like, what's the American, but you know, like a bit pervy or a little bit kind of over the top. And so I think- Perv is a universal language. (laughs) Freak, yeah. A freak. I'm never sure, you know, like, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll say an English word or British word and and, like Americans or Canadians will be like, what? What, what, I'm with it, I'm with it. So I'm always conscious of that. But yeah, but in terms of like, um, yeah, that they maybe think that that guy's been a bit of a perv or, you know, or you want, you know, you want to explore a bit too much. I just want to have a bit of like vanilla sex, like kind of the quote unquote normal sex. Um, But, you know, when they then come to me after like they've had this situation that's happened, I then provide a platform where they both can sort of say, look, this is what I'm looking for in a sexual relationship. And what's Mm. really interesting is that oftentimes the person that's cheated, it's not always them whose needs haven't been met in the re- in the relationship sexually, oftentimes it's the quiet one, it's the one who's been cheated on that says, actually, y- yeah, I- I'd like a little bit more foreplay or, you know, I don't particularly like, you know, performing oral sex on you. And there are some really difficult conversations that need to be had. But I say, have the conversations Agreed. and then let's work together because there's so much to choose from in the world of sex. You know, everyone just thinks it's that kind of missionary position, let's have sex at 8pm at night. There's so much to choose from to make it exciting. Let's talk about it. I think it also goes back to what you were saying, though, about how we see sex in that binary. And let's add in that fantasization of the media and sex, right? Boy meets girl or girl meets girl or who meets who. And they have this sex and then it's all passionate and it's all, you know, kit and caboodle, you know, fireworks are going off. And then when you have sex and there's no fireworks, you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, what's going on? Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with the socialization of folks and how they see sex, how they see marriages and relationships. And it's just there could also be some trauma involved. I mean, there there could be some history of abuse. Um, you know, we all haven't had the there's some of us who have not all had the opportunity to go to therapy and work out our issues, because that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? Is our personal issues. But you you mentioned um, you know, the idea of having these conversations, these these challenging and difficult conversations, but how do you go about breaching that with your partner when you know, like this is the person you've been in bed with for, you know, a few years now. And it's interesting how you suddenly freeze up and you don't know how to go to them with, with, the, you know, your feelings about how you want something different in the bedroom or something different on another intimacy level. Like, how do you breach those conversations with your partner? I'd say that there's really probably no real easy way of doing it other than just doing it. Um, But choosing the right time, I think, is really important. So I would often say to clients to maybe arrange like a date night. So it's a relaxed environment. You're watching TV Mm. together. You're maybe cooking a nice meal together. Um, And there are things like relationship like cards, like I've got some sex quiz cards that clients will buy. And, you, you know, you have a little bit of fun. You read out the first question, they answer it and then you sort of take it in turns. 
Um, there's also a really good quiz I often direct clients to called weshouldtryit.com. And it's basically a sex questionnaire. Uh, you and your partner fill it out and then you match your answers with a yes, no, maybe. And it's a really great way to just have a fun conversation and have a bit of a laugh as well. So timing, you know, date night, sex quiz cards, relationship quiz, relationship quiz cards are all, are all really important when it comes to having these kind of conversation. But of course, you then have partners that are just super awkward about having this conversation. Um, so sometimes some people have tried like sending an email to their partner or send a text to their partner. So it's finding a communication method that's going to work for you and for your partner. Um, and yeah, and then introducing a bit of fun into the space, you know, a bit of massage oil, you know, like I said, there's so much to choose from. So um, yeah, a lot of people are spoiled for choice. It's interesting because I feel like this all stems from the fact that we have been taught to be uncomfortable about talking about sex Absolutely. you know like yeah. whether it's our the conversation that our parents have with us or you know just the conversation itself the idea of talking about it openly is in our generation at least has been shunned you know for the most part so I think we carry that forward into our relationships um and there's definitely a breakdown of communication um when it comes to the topic and it's women unfortunately Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, what was that? It's definitely with women, Charlene. Oh, that... okay. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I would say definitely more so with women. You know that we in England, there's an expression that you sort of lie back and think of England. You know, when it comes to having sex, and you know what we're saying is no. Like you lie back and think of England if you if that's what you want to do. But what we're saying is try and see if you can be quite present in the sexual experience you know, like notice what sensations are happening in your body, where they're happening, and really enjoy that and stay in the moment and be connected with your partner, you know, to be able to say, this is what I like, and this is what I don't like. There's so many women in particular that are doing things in the bedroom that they just don't enjoy. And they don't like, now I'm not saying that there shouldn't be an element of give and take, because of course, there needs to be in a relationship, you know, I think some, sometimes women will say that they don't like performing oral sex on their, their partner. And um, some women are just like, you know, let just let me just do it quickly because it makes him go to sleep or maybe <laughs> <laughs> it shuts him up for a few hours or whatever it may be. So you have to kind of work out what you're willing to do and what you're not. But I think there's just so many of us that are just doing things we don't really want to do and, and, and we're not enjoying sex. It's really mm. unfortunate, right? And I also think that it all goes back to that conversation. What were you learned? What were you, yeah, what were you taught from the beginning? Right. Because I, I think about that a lot when I, I'm talking to my I'm a teacher. So I'm talking to my students and I just answer their questions and they look at me like, Miss, you're just. Yeah, because that's what I know. But it was interesting because I think the other part is knowing your body and knowing yourself and understanding your sexual health. I mean, I, I was recently diagnosed with endometriosis and I was telling, I have, I do pelvic physio. So for those of you interested in pelvic physio, it's like kegels. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it, but it works because I think it's annoying. But I was telling my husband like, oh, I have some pain. I don't like this. And he was like, oh, I don't want my wife to be it's like, we, you can have that conversation. But pelvic physio, by the way, for viewers who are listening, that shit will help you out in sex. Like it's really, really <laughs> good. And it helps you hold your bathroom, all that other great stuff. But pelvic physio or kegels really helps you rebuild your like your uterine wall, especially if you had a baby and so forth. But women don't get to explore that going back to the heteropatriarchy, going back to what sex should be like, going back to, you know, sex is shameful and it's a secret, but I, I don't understand. So I have another question. Do people <laughs> really bounce back from the infidelity? Cause I'm going to tell you the cards on the table. I make the ladies and I play game episodes and I love the relationship game cards. So I play fluster, I play com combo and chill. I love all the games. But one of the questions says, if you cheated on your partner, do you want them to tell you or not? Mm. I was a straight no. If you tell me, it's done. It's over, finished. I can't come back from it because I can't trust. And I will always think about what I will always compare. It's not about the partner. It will be me. I'll always be comparing like mm -hmm. what made you go there or da, 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 da. So I know I'd rather not be told. 
believe it or not, because if it's broken, I don't recover well from broken. I don't bounce back. I'm not an elastic band. So how do you think people can recover? And if so, you know, what's that? What does that look like? I've seen people that have recovered from it. And I think sometimes the relationship is even stronger um, as a result of it. You know, they've been able to learn what the triggers have been. They've been able to articulate what it is that they do and don't want. So I think for some of the couples I've worked with, they've been able to get past it and they've been able to enjoy better relationship. Of course, there are other couples where that's not quite the case. Um, and sometimes what happens with couple therapy is that more information comes out about the cheating. And that can be really difficult for the other person to really um, digest, particularly when they kind of do, you know, particularly say the women again, you know, we kind of look at the dates of, you know, oh, but we were having a conversation then. So that means that, you know, we become like Inspector Clouseau during those, type, those times, <laughs> right? We work things out on a whole new level, yeah, you know, you know that yeah. means on that date, when you said that, and we'll go back to text messages when they said, I love you, you think, whoa, you were with her then. So it can get really, really messy. And, you know, as a therapist as well, I'm, you know, I'm human before I'm a therapist. It's heartbreaking to see, it's heartbreaking to see both sides. It's heartbreaking to see the person who's been cheated on. You know, you can just see that pain, that, 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 that brokenness. But at the same time, sometimes even the person that's cheated because they've made a mistake and they're really sorry, and they just don't know what to do to build that trust again. They, it's like they wish they'd never done it. And there's there's that part that really feels sorry sometimes, but for both parties, it, yeah. it's, it's a difficult one. It really is. Charlene, you mentioned something about, you know, when people look at their partners and they don't want them to seem pervy or they don't want to seem pervy. Um, I'm a, I'm a divorcee with three children. So I feel like there's going to be listeners who have kids and, yeah. you know, have a different sexual relationship post kids. What happens a lot in, in couples that I've seen, and I may have even experienced myself is that you become a family, right? And when you become too familial, familial, familiar, whatever the word is, it's kind of weird. It gets a little awkward. Because it's like, this is going to sound so weird, but it's like you're having sex with a family member versus your romantic partner. And sometimes that line becomes blurred. Like I've heard the term, the Madonna whore complex, right? Like, you know, you've become a mother now. You are the mother of the, the man's child or, you know, whatever. You become a maternal figure. And now it's hard to see you as a sexual object. And how would you deal with that? Yeah. I've definitely dealt with that quite a lot, actually, where the the woman is now a mother, she's maybe breastfeeding, you know, the last thing she wants is her partner to be using her nipples for sexual pleasure, and the list goes on, those types of things. And so what I often say to, to couples is you have to change up a little bit, you know, you have to think about fantasies, you have to maybe choose a different, loca different location, different venue, so, for example, you know, can you get a babysitter so that you and your partner can go to a hotel or you can go to a cottage somewhere? It doesn't mean you have to have sex straight away, but that you can just be the couple again. You know, can you bring about a bit of playfulness so that you can re be reminded of when you first met, for example? Some of the couples I work with, one, one lady in particular, we're looking at like alter egos. So what she said is that, you know, she is, let's say, Sally as the mother and the wife at home. But she, I won't say her actual uh, alter ego, maybe like, I don't know, sexy Lexi or something like that. <laughs> She'll probably be listening to this and she'll be like, Charlie, that's my one. You've told them all. <laughs> something like, maybe like, I don't know, sexy Lexi or something like that. And it just means that you can just go into that role of fantasy. You can switch, you can be whoever you want to be. You know, you can maybe be in a hotel and you could be looking online for like sex toys, you know, that you have delivered to another address. Like you have to kind of make that effort so that you can maybe separate the two. Because I think it is difficult if you are, if you are a mother, if you are doing the shopping, the laundry with your partner, and then it's like tapping you on the shoulder, hey, let's go and have some sex. You're just like, oh, no, that just feels a bit weird. Mm. <laughs> you have to change it up a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> I really like what you said earlier about, um, you know, when you've sort of hit that lull in your relationship and you and your partner need to stop trying to go back to what you were mm -hmm. and focus on what you are now. Mm. Um, so what would you advise a person to do if they're in a relationship with someone where suddenly, you know, tastes change. You definitely aren't the same person you were, say, like, you know, five years ago when you were initially with your partner. Um, you know, let's say, for instance, <laughs> one person still is perfectly fine with being vanilla, and then the other person is like into pegging and nipple clamps and all this other fetish stuff and, and all sorts of different kinks. Like, how do you <laughs> how do you go and tell your partner about this? I think, yeah, I think you have to be careful in terms of um, how you communicate some of this to your partner, because sometimes our partners can receive that information in a negative way. They can maybe think that you're accusing them of not being sexual enough or that you don't really find them attractive or sexy. It can create mm. a whole set of, you know, anxieties that you, you that you wouldn't want to project onto your partner. So I think what I was saying a little bit earlier about kind of maybe having a time that you can sit down together, that you can speak to one another. There's lots of like sex quiz games as well. So I've got a really great game called the Circle of Sex. And there's literally like lots of different sexual words in like a circle. And I give it to both both part partners, so both the couple, and they just circle the ones that they would like to try or the things that they've done in the past. And then they sort of swap them and it just gives them an opportunity to talk and have a bit of a laugh and, you know, think, you know, and then you might have circled something like pegging and, you know, your partner might be like, oh, are you, in, are you into that? So you may then agree that you want to have that as part of your sexual world, but you might actually agree that actually this isn't something that we want to do together because you do have to compromise as well, right? If you're in a relationship. So mm -hmm. if you want, you know, if you, if you're a guy and you want to be pegged by your partner and she doesn't want to do that, then maybe you just don't have that as part of your sexual world. You you look at other things, you know, or, or you agree to maybe poly polyamory or, you know, or some kind of other arrangement, you know, like, and I think that's the thing as well, isn't it? Because society tells us that it has to be like one partner. One way forever. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that, that one soulmate for the rest of your life. And then people are often quite distressed because their needs are not being met. They've changed as people as they grow older. But I think it is important for us to be a bit more open about the different types of relationships that are out there. And we know, is it like Will Smith and Jada Pinkett? I think, did they like say that they were, they had like an open relationship or something like that? And that's that's been yeah. the success of their marriage. You know, like, I think we just have to be open to different, different yeah. versions of this. So let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's address some of like the taboo stuff. I, I know you and I had spoken about it over the phone. You actually uh, counsel uh, people when it comes to things like erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Um, you go into period sex. So <laughs> let's just let's just go straight into it. But Tell I, us about. I, I want to play the game that you give to the couple. <laughs> I'm, I want to play yeah, these games. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll send them through to you. Um, you guys, uh, yeah, you, you guys can get all the resources for free. So I'll definitely send them through to you. Very cool. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Thank you. So with with the erectile dysfunction, what is like the? That's obviously a very common thing. All men are going to go through it, or do eventually go through it at some point in time in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you counsel men in that area? Yeah, it's it, you know erectile dysfunction is such a sensitive topic. For, for guys when, when they come to me. Oftentimes, by the time they come to me, they have been trying to deal with this issue for a long period of time by themselves. So they will take uh, Viagra, which, um, or I think I think it's named, it's, it's a different it's name Viagra. in America. Is it Viagra? Viagra, Cialis, all sorts okay. of different things over here. Yeah, yeah. so they, they'll take that. Pill. Sometimes <laughs> they take it secretly as well. So you know, the partner doesn't know they're taking it, they'll just pop the pill and they sort of wait for it to work. And and oftentimes it's a very isolating place. Also, there are a lot of myths surrounding erections. So so often we're told that men are supposed to be hard, you know, as soon as they see us, it's supposed to last forever, it's supposed to be rock hard, you know, it's not supposed to the erection's not supposed to go at all throughout the time that they're being sexual with us. But what we know is that erections come and go. You know, it depends on your thoughts, your mood, your feelings, your body temperature, what you've had for dinner. It, it depends on all sorts of stuff, whatever triggers 
whatever's been triggering you within that moment, your erections can go a little bit and then it can come back. It doesn't necessarily mean that you you aren't attracted to your partner. And that's often the, the stressful thing for a lot of people because like the wives may think, you know, I don't think my partner's very attracted to me because, you know, this issue is happening. Um, and they might say something like, you know, when he's watching porn, he's having an erection, there's no problems, or he had an affair and he didn't have a problem there. And now he's having sex with me. There's issues with erections. But the thing is that there's a whole host of reasons why, why that could be the case. And there's a sheet that I give to clients. They're, they're normally quite like overwhelmed by it because it has about 100 reasons that people could have erectile dysfunction or any kind of sexual uh, dysfunction. And they're like, wow. And I'm like, look at that list. Like just one segment of that is my partner's not interested in me. There's all these other things, medical and non-medical, you know, mm. it could be the reason. Um, but yeah, I think oftentimes from a psychological point of view, it's linked to anxiety. It's linked to our belief system. Um, sometimes as women, what we don't realise is that we contribute to it. So if, for example, you've gone on a night out, you come home, you've had se- you're having sex and your partner is struggling to have an erection, it could be because he's had lots of alcohol that night and he's tired. That could be the actual reason. But if you're there frowning and you're like, oh, for goodness sake, and you roll over and go to bed, you roll over and go to bed, and then you don't talk to him the next day. That then sends a message to him that, oh my gosh, I've got a problem. Oh my gosh, the anxiety starts to kick in. And so then what happens the next time that you go to have sex, the body remembers that, like, and the pressure like then for the body. Oh, yeah, man. the body's trying to kind of like, you know, I must do this, I must do this. And then adrenaline is pumped into the system. And once adrenaline's in the system, you know, cortisol, that stress hormone. Then you you know the sexual arousal process just kind of can't happen, but and then the guys told themselves they've got a problem, and and so it goes on. So it can be a really depressing space. That's for men. like cock blocking. That's like legitimate the process of cock blocking yourself. Absolutely, that's Absolutely. crazy. Do you think yeah. it's okay then if a woman, if like if her partner is or and I I don't want to use heteronormative words. If yeah. one partner wants to be satisfied and the other partner can't. Do you think it's disrespectful to the relationship for that person to masturbate then or to self-please? Because are we holding out until your issue is fit? Like, is it selfish, essentially, to self-please? I think it's, I mean, self-pleasure, I would never say that's selfish, but I think that you have to be sensitive to your partner. So, for example, if you're, let's say, if, if you in a heterosexual relationship, if you're the woman and your guy is struggling with erections and you really want to have penetrative sex because that is what turns you on and that's what helps you to, let's say, orgasm, you know, you kind of maybe rolling up your eyes, let's put that in there again, you know, you're rolling up your eyes and then you start touching yourself to bring yourself to orgasm or you climb over over him to get your vibrator it might or you you kiss your teeth yeah (laughs) those may not be the things that you do top three things you don't do in an erection yeah Yeah. don't do any of those things it's just not sensitive (laughs) is it i think that thing it's just not very sensitive and also as well you know and said this to a lot of couples they didn't believe me at the beginning but they believed me at the end if the penis is flaccid you can still have a good time. You can have a lot of fun. Just don't focus on the pen, on penetration. Don't focus on, I need to get this penis hard. And what happens is the body will just naturally do what mm-hmm. it needs to do. And before you know it, oftentimes a penis does become hard. In saying that though, if there's a medical condition, so if there's any kind of condition that the guy has linked to like clogged arteries or... Um, yeah, or, or like any issues with the veins themselves, like diabetes, cholesterol, those types of high cholesterol, those types of things, then that's a medical issue. Then that needs to be dealt with uh, by the doctor. And um, there's no, as, as good as I am, there's no psychological support that I can provide that will then help that situation. Eat well, stay healthy, yeah. good eat diet, well. don't yeah. smoke cigarettes. So, Absolutely. Take care of yourself. Let's talk about this period sex, right? <laughs> So, I mean, I'm with it. I was excited. I'm with it. I, I'm very open about this stuff. Um, what are people saying? Like, I understand the religious layers to it. I totally get the religious layers. But there are people who just say, oh, it's nasty, you know, whatever, whatever. But I think you can have some really good goddamn sex on your cycle. Like, because you are horny as fuck during these times. And I yeah. think this is another issue I have, Charlene. Like, if you're in a relationship with someone 
I think it is your duty to understand the sexuality of that person. And if you're with a woman, I think it's also your duty to understand how a woman's body works because a lot of sex is male oriented. Like we're the recipients of your sex. Yo, it's a two way street, bro. Like I want to, and I, and I feel like you need to have that conversation if you're in a female relationship and understand her cycle and what she's going through and when it ends. And like, you really need to be in touch with that. But a lot of people think that period sex is really dirty. Or that just sex is like off limits when you're on yeah. your period. I hear this all the time yeah. and I'm like, what? Yeah. It makes no sense to me. It's interesting. So because before I became a sex therapist, um, the joke amongst my peers um, and people in the course I was on at the time was that Charlene's a bit prudish. You know, Charlene's like, when you hear, when she hears anything to do with sex, she's like, oh, gosh oh my gosh you know so um <laughs> before I trained as a sex therapist I was what we call a psychodynamic counselor so you know when you sort of deal with just the you know I say that the usual but not usual but you know addiction OCD those types of anxiety those types of stuff and um anytime a client would mention anything about sex when they'd really sort of go into the conversation around sex I noticed that I would do my very best to try and turn the conversation in another direction so it's always it's was, it was really interesting when I then decided to be a sex therapist because people were like you like oh okay <laughs> so but what's really interesting is that although I've heard everything going probably I think period sex I notice in me there's still a part of me that's like oh okay I <laughs> always recognize as soon as the topic comes up but I think that this is fine because I think the thing is is that you know we're all very different you know we've come from different households you know for me you know what what I was taught about periods wasn't that it's something to be celebrated. It was like, it equals, you'll get pregnant soon and your life will be spoiled forever. So when that's the message that's been given to you, (laughs) when that's the message that's been given to you, you don't associate period with like pleasure necessarily. So it was quite a a strange uh, phenomenon for me. In saying that, in terms of what people are saying out there, um, there's a lot of people that are having sex on, on the period. Um, there's a lot of men that are okay with it. There are a lot of lesbian couples where the woman that's maybe, you know, been, that, that's not on a period is okay with her partner being on a period. Um, of course, there, there's things that you have to think about in terms of, you know, the mess sometimes. So make sure that you put, you know, blankets or towels down so that your bed sheet, sheets are not stained. But yeah, there's a lots of there's lots of benefits with having sex on your period, you know. Yeah, you, no babies that ruin your life, right? <laughs> generally for the most part yeah I mean things like that yes I I suppose also what what's really important is that you know things like orgasms you know when you orgasm then you know you release all those like feel-good hormones and those endorphins can uh, act like a natural painkiller as well so they can kind of heal and help the pain cramps the period cramps so there's little kind of things like that that are like super cool you know people really like that some people find it's quite an intimate experience as well I think you know, you feel quite vulnerable, don't you, when you're on your period. So to take your knickers off and for your partner to see you in your full glory with, you know, with <laughs> the blood, you know, it's a real vulnerable and a very connecting thing. Like, uh, as I always say, our partners see parts of our bodies that we probably will never, ever get to see. So it's a very connecting, a very intimate experience, but it's not for everyone. And I think if your partner does not want to engage with you sexually during that time, it is important to respect that, but maybe to have a conversation about it so you don't feel rejected. Yeah. I think sometimes people sure, can feel right. quite rejected. It's like, oh, you're on your period, and then there's no affection, no cuddling or anything like that. So it's important oh, to have yeah. No, I agree. I, um, so in our household, there's none of that. I mean, we're both religious, <laughs> but that's not on my part. That's on his part. <laughs> but I get it, and I respect that. We talked about this going in, right? I understand yeah. the rules of the game that I'm in, so I understand that. But like I told you, my mom was the one who sent my brothers to buy our menstrual pads. She was nice. like, you know what your yeah. sister has? You know, do you, What do you mean you don't have it? Like, you better go at that store and get it. <laughs> so that was my mom, right, sending us to the chemist to get them so that they could be good partners. So one more question. Do a lot of women talk to you about their own orgasm dysfunction? Because a lot of women don't talk about this. So let's, let's, let's feel this. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So oftentimes, so the men would come to me, um, usually it'll be erectile 
issues um, or ejaculation issues, so premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation, or some kind of like addiction to porn and sex. That's those are usually the kind of the the, the top three or four there. But the, with the women, if it's not low sexual desire, then it's definitely issues around orgasms. Like that's like really high up there, and oftentimes it's because women we're so used to giving to people in general that we don't know how to ask for what we want and so oftentimes there's not enough sexual stimulation there's not enough foreplay um and i'm not just talking about physical touch but i'm talking about emotional foreplay as well so throughout the day you know sanisha when you spoke there about your husband and that kind of connect you know you're connecting you're sending messages to each other that just keeps the spark alive that just keeps the energy building but, you know, there are couples that are not doing things like that. The foreplay isn't really happening. Or there are some women where their partners are maybe performing oral sex on them or touching them in certain places, and it's not comfortable for them. I remember a woman that said to me that when her partner fingers her, that she finds it painful and sometimes her legs starts to shake. But she still just endures it because in her mind, it's like, this is what you do like this is what they do on porn this is what the media says this is what my friends are all doing everyone's saying that sex is you know is a big deal this is great it's great so surely this is what it is and you know then they come to see me and I'm like just don't do that like listen yeah. to your body if your body's if your body's reacting in that way it's not enjoying it like our body's very clear we just don't always listen to it you yeah. know I think that's so important because and and going back to that conversation right like that conversation about what you need and it like we're really late in the game like i don't know if i've ever told you ladies this but i've told my 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 lover friend <laughs> my best friend who's a guy i said one of my goals in life is to have the best sex of my life before i die i refuse to go down without having a good sex life so i will do what i have to do to get it and it's really important because <laughs> it is it's super important because amazing you 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 deserve it we work fucking hard in this life we work we Absolutely. pay bills we take taxes your pm I, I won't say anything charlene rpm let's not say <laughs> anything and as the verdict's out on your president right now yeah, but i know the point is like when you go to bed you should be able to have good sleeps and good sex and just enjoy those things and i i'm it's really sad. And, and there's some reason women can't orgasm. Like it's about the placement of their clitoria. Sometimes it's in these like, not, I don't want to say awkward, but they're in different places on your body. Sometimes men or women or people don't know the pressure to apply to it. So how are you going to have the best sex if you can't speak up? We wouldn't do that in a restaurant, and, right? And also, I don't think that, you know, this goes back to the conversation about knowing oneself like intimately in terms of your own body right there's some of us who are fine with having a partner who's very well endowed and then there's others where it's like it can hurt it can really hurt and not every woman's uterus is the same our reproductive systems are completely different from one another and we're like the the this whole like image that we see in porn is not like a one size fits all for the woman in your life or the man in your life or whoever you're with mm -hmm. it varies from person to person um so if there's some you know last parting words that you would give to our listeners what would that be charlene Oh, so many things. I'll try and summarise it. I think the key is to not get caught up with what society says good sex is. I think the key is to listen to your body. Our bodies tell us what we need and what we don't need. And I'd also say be really honest with yourself about the quality of the relationship that you have, even outside of the bedroom. So many of us are pretending that we've got a good relationship because our partner, I know, goes shopping with us and takes the laundry out or whatever, or, I know, puts the rubbish out. But we don't feel emotionally safe with our partner. We can't, we don't feel that we can be vulnerable. Maybe we've made jokes and they've put us down or they've criticised us and we've not said to them, look, that's not on or that's made me feel really uncomfortable. But then we'll go into the bedroom and we expect our bodies to just let go and to connect with a partner that hasn't been respectful to us maybe outside of the bedroom. So be honest with yourself. You know, that the way to have the best sex ever is to feel really, really emotionally and physically safe with, safe with yourself and with your partner. 
And I, a, a little plug, I really love on Netflix, Sex, Love and Goop with Gwyneth Paltrow. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And I just think if we had that kind of sex education growing up, I would be out of business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. And also it's Let's followed see. up by um, the blueprint breakthrough because I looked up this. So by the way, full disclosure, I made my husband do the quizzes after I made him watch the documentary as well. And we actually understand what we both like some of sometimes we match and sometimes we don't. So mm -hmm. after that episode, after that series, like you're saying, Charlene, there's resources. You can look up the people who are featured. So if there's a UK version, I'm just plugging it. I think Charlene should be on it. We're just putting Aww. that out there to everybody. Because <laughs> um, I'm not a big fan of Gwyneth Paltrow. Sorry, Gwyneth. But I'm a really yeah. fan of the couples, especially the black couple, the first one that's featured yeah. in powerful. the series. Very powerful. But every um person that comes on you can research them and so when the sex masters came on the ones that teach you about are you sexual or are you sensual and so forth i was looking them up and they give you these services called the blueprint and you take those questions and your partner takes those questions and you find out it's almost like your sex love language right like are you more sexual are you more sensual are you more i forget the other words but there's those are the ones i remember and I have to say on some level, it's a game changer because you both find your Venn sex diagram. You find where you meet in the middle and mm -hmm. you can work on it. So it's very, very interesting. Uh, I, I, I wasn't a big fan of, of Gwen, but I would watch it if you were in there, Charlene. Bless you. <laughs> I would say, hey, mom, I know her. Like, oh, <laughs> and so, do you know, it's funny because I don't know much of Gwyneth Paltrow, but I was really impressed by this whole series. And I think doing this work, you know, I often, you know, people are like, go, go on to Netflix and there's sex in the title, so you will love it. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh no, this is boring. But that was really good. And yeah. I, I always recommend my client, recommend it to my clients as well. I think it's, I think mm. it's really, really It is a good show. I really did enjoy it, especially the black couple, because they really learned from each other. Yes. They yeah. really learned. So um, preview, yeah. the guy was a, a sexual type, but the girl was a sensual type. Mm. And they taught each other techniques, how to get him to the, get her sensual to get him sexual. Yeah. It was very interesting about, you know, how they, how they did it. And I now follow them. So they're really, really cool. And I think they have a lot to offer because if we can do love languages if we can do horoscopes why can't we have a sex language and figure Absolutely. out you know what makes us good so plugging at netflix you've got charlene douglas here who can do love <laughs> we could do love goop and pints the uk version love goop and pints <laughs> i'm with it well That's charlene up. while we're on the subject of all of these different shows and you know yeah. uh entertainment uh options out there uh, maybe you can take this opportunity to plug your own website, your own shows. Uh, I know you have a, a YouTube channel. I've seen some videos from there as well. Can you just tell us a little bit more uh, or tell the listeners about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so I'll start with in terms of the TV work. So Married at First Sight um, is back 2022. Um, so we will be filming soon. Um, and yeah, it will be out later on in the year. Um, so really excited to do that. And I'll, I will be back with uh, Mel Schilling, who's the presenter on Married at First Sight Australia, and Paul Brunson, who is American. So I'm sure you guys are familiar with uh, our Paul. And uh, Paul's also on Slips Go Dating um, in the UK as well. So we'll, we'll all be back together. So it's really exciting that we're back and um, doing that again. Um, in terms of my website, so a bit of a long one. Uh, so it's theintimacycoachuk.com theintimacycoachuk.com um, you can find me on Instagram Charlene Douglas Official just in case anyone else tried to take it Charlene Douglas Official <laughs> um, and uh, Facebook and YouTube it's all the Intimacy Coach UK so I'm quite, you can quite easily find me as soon as you tap in Charlene Douglas you'll find uh, me although be careful what website you go on to because I found two websites that have just created a whole profile of me and a lot of it is not even true so um, hmm. yeah go on sites that are imposters yeah yeah i'm like who Ugh. is that that's not me uh, yeah, <laughs> and charlene has tiktok for those of you who like tiktok i'm i'm stalking the instagram 
Um, <laughs> and she's really busy. So if you want her, you should go get her because she's got a little note at the top of her website. So, you know, yeah. you better know what you're doing. And again, you don't just do in-person uh, counseling and meetings. You actually do that online as well. So anyone from anywhere in the world can actually uh, have some sessions with you um, virtually. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. We greatly appreciate you being on the show. We do. I loved it. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been really lovely talking to you guys. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Likewise, likewise. And that's a wrap for us. It's also the wrap of our love month. Oh, our love month is over. This brings it to okay, an end. We went out with a bang with Charlene. And get so yourself awesome. banged in the process. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you guys for listening and stay tuned next week for more Messy Truths. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Peace. Bye.